0: Welcome to the History of the Goths. After reading through the Origo Gothica and the other great works on the Goths, one will most likely be inclined to smash his head into a wall repeatedly over how hole-ridden and spotty the timeline of the Goths actually is. They appear with ferocity and just as quickly recede into oblivion, hidden beyond the gaze of our mostly Roman record but I didn't create this podcast just to give myself a major concussion. There is yet hope that I may be able to piece together a story from these ancient writings, because from what I have read, it is a very interesting tale of heroism, triumph, and of course, tragedy. You may be wondering, if this story is so hole ridden then why would you make this podcast in the first place? That's a good question. The only acceptable answer would be that I thought it would be a fun and challenging thing to do. I like history, and since you're listening to this podcast on such a niche topic, I assume you do too. Plus, ever since I first picked up a book about the Goths at the library, I realized they were super kick-butt, or more professionally, the Goths were something special, a people that have always elicited the greatest of excitement, from historians who told their story, and kings who took their image. They moved all over Europe, tore down the greatest empire the world has ever seen, set the groundwork for the modern Western world. And then simply vanished. Truly impressive for such a small tribe. Throughout history, there's been a lot of debate about how to approach the memory of the Goths. Historian Hervig Wolfram helpfully notes the two schools of thought that have emerged in relation to the Goths, which I will dub the Latin school and the Germanic school. The Latin school uses the Goths as an antithesis of everything good, such as civilization, culture, and humanity that they are nothing but mindless barbarians who wish to loot, destroy, and massacre all that is good. They are the people most often blamed for the destruction of the Roman Empire, especially by Renaissance Italians who would begin salivating at the mere mention of classical Rome. It certainly did not help that nearly every source to be had on the Goths was from the Roman perspective, that of the cultured patrician who despised with every fiber of his being the togeless, long-haired barbarians that poured across the northern border in seemingly endless waves. I mean, they even wore pants, those heathens. This anti-Gothic sentiment has most recently expressed itself in the Spanish-American Wars of Independence, when the rebels would use Godo, or Goth in Spanish, as a common pejorative for European Spaniards who came to reassert imperial authority in the colonies. The Germanic school is the exact opposite of the Latin school. Where the Goths were uncultured swine to the Latin school, they were a free and majestic people to the Germanic school. They are often revisited as a subject of romanticism and nationalistic nostalgia. For example, Austrian and Swedish bishops arguing whose people were more Gothic at the Council of Basel. The Goths would even find representation in the Swedish coat of arms as one of the three crowns of Sweden. Beyond that, the Goths were central to the early Swedish national identity, as seen in the Thirty Years' War where Gustavus Adolphus was cast as the Gothic bringer of freedom, who rode gallantly south through Europe to clash with the tyrannical Habsburgs who played the part of the dreaded Romans. But what could drive such powerful sentimentalities? That is what I hope to explore in this series, The History of the Goths. You may be saying at this point, now hold on, what is a Goth? And that's where I respond, hard to pinpoint exactly, but I'll give it my best try. The Goths spoke a now extinct East Germanic language known as, you guessed it, Gothic. In this tongue, they referred to themselves as Gutfiuda, or Gothic people. The Goths are quite similar to the other Germanic peoples in terms of religion, physiology, and culture. Starting with religion, unfortunately not a great deal is known about their early pagan beliefs, but we do know about their main god, Gopt, the progenitor of the Goths, who is often connected to the Norse god Odin. Both are seen generally as fatherly figures, with Odin having created Osk and Embla the Swedish Adam and Eve. The Goths also had a god similar to the Norse god of war, Tyr, named, and I'm probably butchering this pronunciation, Tyves, identified by the Romans as the Gothic equivalent of their god of war, Mars. From these connections, we can assume that the Goths had the normal Indo-European pantheon of gods and that their beliefs were very similar to Germanic and Norse paganism. Like other Germanic peoples, they were described by the Romans as light-haired and light-skinned, with large bodies and handsome faces. Tacitus remarks on the Germanic peoples that they must be an unmixed people because they all look so much alike. This is where a lot of confusion can come into play. For a lot of their existence, the Goths were in movement, picking up and leaving behind people as they went. While the core Gothic identity and warrior elite remained, it is certain that outsiders joined and were gothicized at points, in the existence of the Gothic people. For example, other Germanic peoples, Baltic peoples, Finnic peoples, and even some Southern Europeans in which category we find one of the most important Goths in history, Uphilas, I will spend a lot of time on him down the road. The Gothic people do have one more large difference between them and other Germanic peoples in that their king had much more authority than that of others. Hervig Wolfram notes that this power manifests more like that of a migratory king than a landed king, this statement reflecting that a migratory king would have more power as a migration could easily fall into chaos if not held together by a strong ruling figure. Power within the Goths coalesced around this ruler in the form of the aforementioned warrior elite who protected the Gothic identity above the largest percentage of the population which was made up of free men who also bore arms when the king required it. With this knowledge in mind, we can begin to understand how the Goths made such a name for themselves as warriors and conquerors. Now that all the foundation has been laid, I will leave it there so we can jump right into the story in the next episode. So until then, you've been listening to the History of the Goths.